I don't know how many of you know the writing of Anne Lamont. She's a Christian writer of freshness and candor and faith. Um, sometimes that candor and that faith mixed together lead her to be a fool for Christ. In her book, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamont tells about being in an airport one time waiting for a flight that was already two hours delayed. I'm a skeptical and terrified fly flyer, Lamont says, when everything is going smoothly. Of course, my idea of everything going smoothly on an airplane is A, we don't die in a fiery crash, and B, absolutely none of my fellow passengers says a word to me. L Lamont is seated between a small woman who's as terrified as she was and a man of my own age who was reading a book by a famous right-wing Christian novelist about the apocalypse. As we sat there on the runway, the man with the book on the, on the apocalypse commented on the small golden cross I wear. Are you born again, he asked, as we taxied down the runway. He was rather prim and tense, may, maybe like a little like David Eisenhower with a spastic colon. Uh, I did not know how to answer him for a moment, but then I said, yes, I am. Lamont continues, my friends like to tell each other that I am not really a born-again Christian. They think of me more in the lines of that old routine, I'm not a Jew, I'm Jewish. They think that I'm Christianish, but I'm not. I'm just sometimes a bad Christian, a bad born-again Christian. And certainly like the Apostle Peter, I'm capable of denying it or presenting myself as a sort of leftist liberation theology enthusiast, or maybe sort of a vaguely Jesus-y bon vivant, but it's not true. And I believe that when you get on an airplane, if you start lying, you're totally doomed. So I told the truth. I'm a believer. I'm a convert. I'm probably about three months away slapping an aluminum Jesus fish on my car, but first I want to check with the leasing company and make sure that doesn't void something. Are you born again? Are you saved? Inside faith conversations, inside the church, those questions seem like the normal flow of our relationship with God and our path of discipleship. Outside the church, however, these questions, even to someone like Anne Lamont, can come freighted with baggage. Even inside the church, on any given Sunday, these questions about salvation can move us to ask further questions about the life of faith. Is being born again a moment? Is it an event? Or is it a lifelong experience? Is salvation a transaction which you conclude and then it's over? Or is it a journey of discipleship? If we had time this morning and asked those questions to each of us, there would be a yes to each of those questions across the spectrum of this congregation. Christian writers and Christian thinkers have wrestled with these questions for centuries. Who is this Jesus to us? And how does he save us? And what in the world does it all mean? I headed to college having grown up in a church my whole life long and thought that I took my Christian faith quite seriously. In my very first month at the University of Virginia, one afternoon as I was studying, there was a knock on my dorm room door. Two fellow students were at the door. As soon as I opened, they said immediately, are you saved? 
And they said this with kind of medium smiles. Uh, uh, I think so. I sort of half answered. That gave them their opening. They whipped out a little pamphlet called the Four Spiritual Laws, told me they were from Campus Crusade for Christ, and started showing me page after page of drawings. There was one drawing of a chasm as large as the Grand Canyon, and then there was a stick figure on one side of the chasm. I think that was supposed to be me. Uh, and there was on the other side, there was this billowing figure that was labeled God. And then there was a cross, and then the cross was laid down across the chasm. And the next picture had the stick figure, who I take to be me, being helped by Jesus across the chasm to, to God. And they were talking about these drawings and about these spiritual laws. And to be honest, it was a bit much for college freshman me from a decent Presbyterian church in central Illinois where I sang in the church choir for 13 years growing up and worshiped almost every Sunday and went to church camp every summer and had very significant faith experiences there. And as they were giving me the laws and showing me the drawings and pointing out the stick figures, I'm first of all thinking, would Thomas Jefferson approve of this in his dorms? What I'm really thinking is, what is all this? And is it really this complicated? It's not unusual in some season of our life to wonder about Jesus and about what it all means. And we yearn deep down for things to be whole. And often in our lives, we know things are not whole. And we have made a mess of our lives. And we've made a mess of our lives for and with God. And we wonder how this is all going to work. How does God take what we are and make us whole? And through history, Christians have gone to work on this a lot. 1,500 years ago, it was said that Jesus is the ransom that God paid the devil to free us. A few hundred years later, it was said that Jesus is the spiritual warrior who will defeat all the powers. After that, there were theologians who developed equations or formulas on how God and we are reconciled. And others have said that God's wrath needs satisfaction. And rather than turn God's wrath on us, it has to be a substitute for us, and that is Jesus. And others have talked in terms of getting us whole in terms of liberation. Or freedom. And all of these approaches, through all the perspectives and all the centuries, are very authentic approaches to try to ex explain what we cannot fully grasp. How does God's love and forgiveness find a home in our hearts? The first dozen verses of the second chapter of Ephesians describe a world of conflict and hostility a world torn between death and life, between sin and grace. The Ephesians writer addresses his audience as those who were once dead in their sins, children of wrath, living according to their desires of the flesh, who now are alive in Christ, recreated for good works. Jesus Christ is the dividing point between who we once were and who we now are. To be recreated in Christ is to have passed from death to life, from sin to grace. Reconciliation of any kind 
presupposes the reality of sin and alienation and hostility. The good news in Christ, according to Ephesians, is that this broken world, reconciliation is no longer just a dream, a longing for once what was that we've lost, or a hope what may be someday. It is something that already is in Jesus Christ. In light of our text, and especially that passage about the dividing walls of hostility coming down, and how peace is now for all, those who are near and those who are far. I've been thinking about how apartheid ended in South Africa and how that brought this type of hope and this type of expectation that Ephesians talks about. The division of black and white and colored were falling, and reconciliation for the first time in decades became possible. Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa believes that God's hand caused that miracle. God saw our brokenness, Tutu writes, and sought to extricate us from it, but only with our cooperation. God will not cajole, God will not bully, but God wants to woo us for our own sakes. We might say that the Bible is God's attempt to effect atonement, to bring us back to our intended condition of relatedness. God was in Christ reconciling the world to God. God sent Jesus, who would fling out his arms on the cross as if to embrace us. God wants to draw us back into intimate relationship, and so to bring us unity with all that has become disunited. This was God's intention from the beginning. And each of us is called to be an ally of God in this work of justice and reconciliation. Father Greg Boyle is a Jesuit priest who's worked for 20 years among L.A.'s gang members. He founded Homeboy and Homegirl Industries. He started these micro-businesses to help uh, men and women who are in gangs get out of gang life and get back to their full life. Greg Boyle tells a story about one former gang member named Mario who was severely abused as a child. Mario would simply say, my ma and me, we didn't get along so well. But then story after story came out. Once his mother said to Mario, why don't you just kill yourself? You're such a burden to me. Once Boyle and Mario were, were talking to a group of social workers when he said that, and of course, the whole room gasped, at which he immediately added, oh, it sounds way worser in Spanish. <laughs> Mario said, I think I was nine when she drove us to the deepest part of Baja, California, to an orphanage. And we walked into the orphanage, and my mother said, I found this kid, and she left me there. It took my grandmother 90 days to get out of her where I was left and come rescue me. She beat me every single day with things you can imagine and with things you cannot imagine. In fact, I would wear three t-shirts every single day. The first because the blood would seep through. The second t-shirt because you could still see the blood. And the third t-shirt that would finally cover it up. The kids at school all made fun of me. Hey, dude, it's 100 degrees. What's with all the shirts? 
Mario said quietly, I wore three t-shirts well into adulthood because I couldn't bear to see my wounds. Most of us, I don't think, have know much about gang life. We may not ever have had to cover up and cover up again and cover up again so our literal bleeding didn't show. But every single person here knows about wounds. Every single one of us knows about what it means to be wounded. And I think each of us, secretly or not so secretly, is afraid of showing where our emotional sores and our physical sores and our spiritual wounds are open and bleeding. And with all due respect to the good work with all those who have come before us, who have tried to answer this and work this out, Jesus being a ransom or Jesus quenching God's wrath or Jesus being a substitute or Jesus being an equation or God working out a formula. This is how I'm led to understand how we experience salvation. Jesus is the one who himself was beaten and bleeding in ways we can imagine and in ways that we cannot imagine. Jesus is the one who lovingly, with a tenderness we have no right to expect, Jesus is the one who lovingly takes off one layer of our feeble defenses and then a second layer by which we try to cover everything up and even a third layer so we look okay in public. And having stripped us, Jesus touches our wounds and he heals our broken places. In the words of Ephesians, Jesus breaks down the walls of hostility that have been built up and we will find ourselves no longer strangers, no longer aliens. We're God's own beloved. And everybody who was far off, for whatever reason, has been brought near to the very heart of God. Gordon Cosby, when he was at Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C., once said, we come to know that God's grace is surrounding you and you rest back in it. You know you've been loved with this sort of love and simply because you've entered into this love, you're able to splash around in it so that it touches anybody who comes close to you. I'm still thinking about Mario and his three t-shirts. Shame and disgrace. Shame and disgrace are not words you and I say in polite company. But shame and disgrace are never far from that wounded, bleeding self. We try to cover up any way that we can. So when God in Jesus Christ strips off all of our layers and touches that most wounded part of us, what happens? And how does that happen? 
thinking of our texts today and the whole scope of the biblical witness of the hope and forgiveness and love of Jesus, I think one of the things that happens is simply God dismantles shame and disgrace. And God says to us gently and clearly, you are exactly what I had in mind when I created you. Before Father Boyle was working with gangs, he was a teacher in one of the roughest schools in L.A. His first day at Loyola High School, he was scared, so he went into the classroom of a veteran teacher named Donna, and he said, it's my first day teaching. Give me some advice. And she said two things. Know all their names by tomorrow. And secondly, it's more important that they know you than they know what you know. Boyle carried that advice forward into his work with gangs. One day he's at a camp and a kid approaches all swagger and pose. What's your name, Boyle asked. Sniper, the kid sneers. Okay, look, I'm pretty sure you, didn't, you, didn't, you weren't born and your mom looked at you and named you Sniper. So come on, what's your name? Gonzalez, he relents a little bit. Okay now, son, I know the staff here is going to call you by your last name, but I'm not down with that. Tell me what your mom calls you. Cabron, the boy replies with a slight flicker of innocence. But Boyle presses on, son, I'm looking for birth certificate here. What's on your birth certificate? The kid softens, and there's embarrassment and kind of a newfound vulnerability. Napoleon he manages to squeak out. Wow, Boyle says, that's a fine and noble and historic name. But I'm almost positive your mom, when she calls you, doesn't use the whole nine yards. Come on, what does your mom call you? Then I watch him go to some far distant place, Boyle says. It's a place he has not visited for some time. His voice changes, his posture changes, his language alters. Sometimes, the voice is so quiet, sometimes when my mom's not mad at me, she calls me Napito. Boyle writes, I watched this kid moved, transformed from Sniper to Gonzalez to Cabron to Napoleon to Napito. We all just want to be called by the name our mom will call us when she's not mad at us. If that's not atonement, if that's not atonement, if that's not salvation, if that's not the holy, tender work of God in Christ making us whole, I don't know what is. The great gift of faith in Jesus Christ is that sooner or later we are offered the opportunity by God to take off one layer and then another layer and then finally another layer. All the layers by which we try to keep our brokenness and our mess and our wounds hidden from ourselves and from each other and from God and we are moved by God's grace and by God's power all the way from Sniper to Napito. 
Thanks be to God. stand with us. Sing these words with us.